with that, let's pray and we'll look at our, our passage today. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I am uh, just enjoying this study of the gospel of Matthew. Father, I thank you for this, uh, this tax collector um, who you called, who you uh, pulled out of darkness. Lord, who you, um, who was really an outcast in his culture and his society through his vocation and how you called him by grace, how you transformed him, how you allowed him to, to witness um, so much of our Lord's life. Um, Lord, I thank you for his, um, his writings that speak to the Jewish people, uh, that he has, has them and uh, in his mind, Lord, that there's so much Old Testament um, validation, support, evidence, uh, to showing that Jesus is the Messiah. And Lord, for most of us who are not Jewish, it, it may not seem important, but it does matter to us as well because uh, we've been grafted in and these, these promises truly authenticate who Jesus is and that we can come before him, we can uh, give him our lives, that we can trust him for salvation, we can trust him for living. And Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that as we study this passage that you would, Lord, help us to see what it is that you want us to see. Lord, help us to understand the cultural context, what happened here. And Lord, that we would be able to draw out principles um, that we can apply in our day-to-day -day lives. Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts and our minds. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? Uh, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs and pull or pull tax from their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, that the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw a hook, throw in a hook and take out the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and he set him before them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes 
and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we've read your word and we ask that you would guide us by your spirit, Lord. Give us understanding, give us insight, give us wisdom, Lord, as we seek to understand this and to apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you again for this day. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so this, this section, we're, we're entering into, I've sort of lost count on, on the discourses of Jesus. Um, but, but today's section, we're, be, we're beginning another discourse, another time of teaching where Jesus uh, begins to uh, share things with his disciples. This discourse goes all the way uh, through the end of the chapter. In chapter 19, verse 1, we read, when Jesus had finished these words, uh, and then they kind of, they, they move on. Um, this, the, the, the whole of this context, the whole of this uh, discourse, this, this teaching of Christ is, uh, I, I believe that the overarching theme is sort of Jesus is beginning to share with them what are the uh, practical implications of living within community in the kingdom? Uh, that if you're one of my disciples and you're entering into my kingdom, there are certain uh, uh, principles or guidelines uh, or heart issues that need to be dealt with for interacting with one another. The assumption is that you're a follower of Christ, that you're actively engaged and, and, and involved in sort of community that's not just uh, surface level, that there's really a depth and that you're involved in one another's lives. But the deeper that we, we grow in community with one another, it's like family. Uh, you, you start to get annoyed by people. People tend to offend or say things, and, and, and it can be difficult. Um, if there are people involved, there, there are going to be strains. And so Jesus is beginning to show certain things about how to live within community uh, according to his kingdom and how it will be in his kingdom. Uh, today's section, the first part, we're going to look at this in about three weeks. The, the first part sort of deals with, to the best that I can summarize it, is that in the kingdom, God is welcoming. He desires those who are not a part of the kingdom to be welcomed in. And we see that God extremely values and cares for uh, those who are uh, new in the kingdom, who are young in the faith, and, and that there is sort of a great responsibility placed on those who are farther ahead um, in their walk with him. There's great obligation to care for those who are not as far down the road as you are. Uh, it seems to be uh, what I get from this. Now, the, the, the whole story opens. This last little paragraph was difficult for me in, in trying to, to separate where does it belong. Um, Matthew wrote his whole, you know, he wrote his letter without chapters and verses. You don't write, you don't write, uh, you know, uh, 
a, a book with chapters. Well, today I guess you do, but this was just sort of, it was written out, telling the story, showing that Christ is the king. And we come to this paragraph, verses 24 through 27, and it's a unique story. Um, there's sort of this issue with this tax that's being collected. Peter basically, they ask about this tax, but the bottom line is Jesus says, go, go fishing, and in the fish you'll find enough money for the tax. Go, go pay the tax. But, but how does it fit? How does, it, does it fit in the previous section, or is it a part of this, this next section? And I, as I've sort of outlined it, I've kind of gone back and forth uh, from where it fits. Until two weeks ago, I discovered a word, and I think I want to point this out, um, to show you why it, can, it connects with chapter 18. Um, I'll say it up front. I don't want to like, you know, have a teaser the whole way and then forget to explain why I think this. And so, so I'm going to sort of give you uh, the, the key word here in verse 27. It says, however, so that we do not offend them. Now, this word offend is the same word that is translated as uh, to cause to stumble that's used if you go down into chapter 18 in um, verse Six is it's used there. Whoever causes that word, uh, causes one of these little ones to stumble, causes to stumble is really one Greek word. And so that, that idea in, in verse six, whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble. And then as we get down to verse eight, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, that same word causes to stumble is the word that's translated offend up there. And then in verse nine, if your eye causes you to stumble. So, so all of a sudden, Matthew uses this word that... In the English, it's translated two different ways. In the Greek, it's the same word. And so at the end of this little tax collector story, he says, he makes his case, which we'll look at in a second, but he says, we're going to do this not to offend this guy. Really, it could be translated, we don't want to stumble this tax collector, and so go fishing, get the money, pay the tax, because I don't want to stumble him. And then from there, the story's going to unfold, and this whole issue about not stumbling others it really becomes a, a major teaching point for Jesus. Now let's look at this tax. In verse 24, we see when they came to Cap, Capernaum, I've taken away the map, but they've moved from up the northern region. They worked their way down to the Sea of Galilee, and now they're at the north sort of western edge of the Sea of Galilee, the, 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 really the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. Uh, it's where Peter lived. It's where they, all, they sort of were headquartered out of. Um, they've, they've returned home. And as they've returned home, we read that those who collected the two drachma tax uh, came to Peter and said, does your, teeter not, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? The New American Standard, I love the translation for its literalness. I probably use this translation because, well, the reality of why I use this translation, I like the literalness of it. But I started with this Bible in seminary, <laughs> in Bible college, and it's got wide margin, so I have all these notes. It's like an old friend, and so I've had it rebound like two times. And so, to, so it's kind of like I love the NIV, and I love other translations. I would probably use the NIV if I, uh, uh, but I've sort of bound to this Bible because it's like it's where I'm it's it's where I'm happiest. And so I, I, I acknowledge that the New American Standard in it, it it's very wooden at times and how would it how it how it translates. In the translation process, you, you can go from word to word to sort of um, thought for thought. Anytime you're going from, from one language to another language and one culture to another culture, 
Sometimes it's more helpful to have like thought for thought. But the New American Standard, it, it can be very wooden at times. And this is one of those statements, when I read this, it looks like he's saying that your teacher doesn't collect the tax. But, but the reality of it is, is, is it could be translated. Um, I, I wrote this down that, that uh, your, your rabbi pays this tax, doesn't he? Like he, he does pay this tax, correct? It, it's sort of the, the heart of it, that they assumed that Jesus paid this tax. And he hadn't up to this point, and they're there to sort of collect this tax. Now, this week, you know, Monday was tax day. Um, we're, sort of, we're, we're sort of right now sandwiched between a couple taxes. Uh, for, for Valley Center people, we have the big tax day, and then we have the one that gets everybody riled up in Valley Center. The fire tax is coming, right? In like a month, we're going to get the little bill for $117, and everybody's going to wave their little thing and say, ah, we're getting taxed. We're so unhappy about it. Like, I can see it in your eyes. I feel the same way. <laughs> we don't like taxes. Especially that one. But where was I? Okay, this tax. They didn't like taxes either. And so there was a bunch of different taxes. Um, this two drachma tax is not the Roman tax. So, so, so the Romans had their whole tax system. Uh, they had a, a Caesar who, who basically used his guys, who would pay guys to collect their tax. Um, they would sort of contract out most like Jewish people or whoever. They would sort of get quadrants and they would say, hey, you have to collect $5,000 of tax from this sort of these parcels. Now, if they could collect $10,000 in taxes, they got to keep $5,000. So it, was re- it really behooved them to sort of um, to apply pressure, and, and the people didn't really know what they owed. It wasn't as clear cut. And so tax collectors were hated. Now, this tax is the, the two drachma tax. It, it also could be known as the half shekel tax. This was a tax uh, re- really of the Jewish people for the Jewish people, um, it was required, so I get my, when I get my facts right here, it was an annual tax for all Israelite men 20 years and older. Um, the tax went um, basically to the temple to maintain operations, to pay the electric bill. There was no electricity, that's sarcasm on my part, but to pay the electric bill to, to, to help offset some of the costs, the maintenance, the things of the facilities. Um, it, it really stems from Exodus chapter 30, verse 13, is where they sort of pulled from for, from this tax. So, so all Jewish men, 20 years and older, had to pay this two drachma tax. Now, to help you understand what this sort of equates to in practical terms, is um, one shekel equaled four drachmas. So at the end of the story, when Peter goes to the fish, he's going to go fishing for a shekel. A shekel translates into four drachmas. So... Jesus is going to ultimately provide enough for the tax for Peter and himself. Um, one drachma was equivalent to one day's wage. Um, and so we're talking about two days' wages is what this tax is. So if we just take sort of, I don't know, minimum wage, like we seem to equate $10 an hour um, as about minimum wage. So we're looking at, so, so one day, 8 times 10 is 80 times 2, 160. So we're looking, if this was today, this would be like a $160 tax. I already saw you guys' eyes when you $117.50 for the fire tax. We were all, <laughs> So let's increase it to 180 Like, Like, so we get the feeling of like, oh, man, another tax. We just get back in town and the tax man's here. Um, now, this tax was special. 
um, this wasn't really, this, I'm making the big thing. This wasn't like the Romans extorting. This was for the temple. Um, however, on an interesting note, as they come, they say, you know, your, your rabbi does pay this tax, doesn't he? There, there seem to be sort of, they think that he does. There's some questions on their part, like maybe there's room for him not to pay the tax, but they're not really sure. Now, the thing is that there was an exemption for this tax. If you were a, a rabbi who had been formally trained, who um, sort of had the union card for the rabbis during that time, you, could, you were exempt from this tax. Um, those that served in the temple, they, they didn't have to pay this tax. And so Jesus was a rabbi, but he didn't have his union card. He wasn't, remember, he's like arguing with all the rabbis when he's 12 years old. He sort of had special, or he's God, so he has his own union that he works with. Uh, he's distinct from these guys. And, and so he could have, he, he, if anybody had authority to be exempt from this tax, it was Jesus. And so these two, or however many guys, I, I, I kind of have a two in my mind, but these tax collectors, as they're seeking out Peter, asking about Jesus, it's sort of like this touchy, because clearly Jesus had a reputation. He was Nobody questioned whether he was a rabbi or not. He was doing amazing things. People by the thousands from, I mean, hundreds of thousands from Israel were flocking to Jesus. Everywhere he goes, there's all sorts of people. Um, and so they're kind of in this precarious situation. Hey, we're here kind of for the temple. Like, we're, they're, they're really, I don't think these tax collector guys were anybody special. They were just sort of, uh, the worker bees going out, and they're sort of like in between. The, like, hey, does he pay the tax or not? Peter's like, yeah, he pays the tax. And so then the the story shifts um, immediately in verse twenty five. And he he went into the house. Jesus spoke to him first. So Jesus knows what's happening out here. When Peter comes in, before Peter can even like ask Jesus, hey, the the tax collectors are here. We need to pay our drachma tax. Can we go go find go find uh, Judas? Pull him, have money pulled out of the, the money box so that we could pay our tax. Jesus uses this as an object lesson to begin teaching, and I think that this was sort of Jesus uh, fishing to to draw out of them the conversation about the kingdom that is about to sort of unfold before our eyes. Um, so Jesus starts with asking this question. Uh, before Peter could ask for the money, he says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from their sons or strangers? Okay, so the people collecting tax, do they normally tax their own family or do they tax others, outsiders? And Peter answered right away, this is a simple question. Uh, Peter, in verse 26, he says, from strangers. Like, they don't, like if you're the king, you don't tax the queen. You tax other people so that you can pay for the queen and your children. And like, I mean, think of, I mean, like the, the royal family in England, do you think that they're paying taxes? No, they have their subjects and their subjects are funding their lives. And so Jesus asks them this question. This is, they, they outsiders. And so Jesus says, you're, you're correct. The sons are exempt or they're freed from this obligation. Jesus is making his point like, listen, I am God. I am the Messiah. I, this whole temple exists to worship me. And so my, me and my sons, we are exempt. We're free from this tax. There's, uh, this tax. There's, no, there's no obligation on us to pay this. And besides, the temple is going to be done away with. 
in six months on the cross, what happened? The veil was torn in two. The, 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 the temple effectively was coming to a halt and it would be destroyed within 40 years in AD 70. Um, he's, he makes the case that there's no reason for us to pay this tax. We have every right not to pay this tax. We're free from this obligation. I see Peter, oh, awesome. Tear up that tax bill. Tear up that fire tax. You just move on. Then in verse 27, he says, however, so that we do not offend, that we do not cause to stumble, them, these tax guys, go to the sea and throw in a hook, take out the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Um, so, um, some lessons that I see in this, Jesus is, like, first off, Jesus is just an awesome teacher. He takes this very practical thing. He uses it to explain a, a, a spiritual principle to, to his followers, to, to really his, his children here. He, um, he teaches them why he ultimately is exempt, and, and really the, the, that they are exempt also from this tax, but then he takes it a step further, and he, he, he makes payment and provides for both of them. And ultimately, he makes payment for all of us um, so that we can stand before God. Um, this paragraph, how it's normally taught, and, and, I, and it's totally here. In this passage, there's so many different directions that you can go there. It's rich with um, teaching topics. One of them is that we see that Jesus totally subjects himself to the authorities that are over him. Like he is God, he's creator. When it comes time to pay his taxes, he, he doesn't make a big stink about it. He Does he have every right? To, can he get out of it? Yes. Um, but he says, you know what? Just just pay the tax. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to willingly subject myself to these guys. Um, and we're told that the reason that he is, he, the, the reason that he does this is he doesn't want to cause offense. He doesn't want to be a stumbling block to them. And I start thinking, how, like, how could this be a stumbling block to them? Like, like these two tax collectors, th- this is their only encounter with Jesus. Jesus is famous. They've heard all sorts of stuff. Th- they probably are going there expecting him to sort of push back on them, to, to jerk them around because they're just nobodies. And, and he realizes that he could not pay the tax and there's nothing that he can do. He, they've got to go back to their superiors and say, yeah, well, you got, you got from everybody, but Jesus, we couldn't get it from him. And so Jesus seems to, to care about the battles that he, he selects. Um, he doesn't want to offend them over something that's a minuscule. I, this, this isn't an important subject to Jesus. Jesus isn't necessarily avoiding uh, stumbling people or offending people for the sake of offending or stumbling. He's just picking his battles wisely. If we were to go back to chapter 15, verse 12, uh, there Jesus is all confronting the scribes and the Pharisees, and afterwards the, the disciples come and say, Jesus, you are pretty offensive. You, you realize that they were offended. Like literally, it's the same word that says th- they were stumbled by what you said, and then it just opens up Jesus to take it even further. Oh, you thought they were offended now. Hear what I have to say now. And so, so his, this, this isn't just, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be a stumbling block for anybody. We just, no, the, the issue is there are certain things that are just really not even worth the battle. Um, pick, pick your battles by the Spirit's leading. And this is not an easy application. We live 
in a time and age culturally where um, we're like in a seismic shift in our nation. And so there's, there are like serious like things like, the, like what, what are major ones, what are not major ones, how do like, like from, from culture as, as a whole to, to the individuals, and I think sometimes you handle the two differently, but, but there are major, I mean, major things like that, that don't seem to be like, that seem common sense, like gender, which bathroom do you use, abortion, um, the, the marriage, the, the whole list goes on and on, and some of these things can, I think, are like worthwhile of, of, of pushing back. But but then, like like it's just uh, it, it can be overwhelming, and so how do we know which which ones do we push back on? How do we push back on certain things? Um, I, I, when I think about this, I just think about that song that Lord, I need you, like I need wisdom. I need I don't know. I think so often that I and maybe the church at large like that we choose wrong battles to fight over, and we we. We do more damage to really what the kingdom of what God is trying to accomplish in the hearts of humans. Um, this is interesting about this paragraph. Matthew is the only one who includes this in his gospel. And I'm convinced that this whole interaction by, by Jesus with these tax collectors had a profound impact on Matthew. Why? Because he was a tax collector. And he sees how Jesus so graciously handles the, the quote, unquote, sort of scum of the earth. The tax collectors were, were, were not liked. And so Matthew is a tax collector who now is walking after, following after Christ. Um, this whole story, this whole interaction of Jesus, I think it had a profound impact on him. And it's why I believe that he records it here. And, and, I, and I think that there's a propensity for us Wherever you were when you discovered Christ or he was able to, to get through your thick head to, like, to understand who you are in light of who he is and that you would humble yourself and that you would receive him as Savior, I, I, I think that we become um, very sensitive to, to the crowd that we came out of. I, I think it explains why I have such a, a burden for law enforcement and the military because that's where I was when I gave my life to Christ. And so um, I, I really want to see those guys and gals like come to Christ and, and to uh, find hope in him. And I think that this is Matthew. These are his people, the tax collectors, and how Jesus was so gentle and kind. N- nobody says what happened. The, the assumption is that Jesus went, or that Peter went out, cast his line, pulled in a fish. Like, look at that. There's a shekel. Let's, there you go, guys. Why does it smell? Oh, it's a long story. Don't even worry about it. And then we read, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Um, I believe this question, this is one that they struggled with. But I've been asking myself, why are they asking this question? Well, they're asking this question, I think, for a couple reasons. First, if we go all the way back uh, to the sort of the beginning of chapter 17, what happens up there? Uh, Peter, James, and John are taken away from the guys. The rest of them, nine are left behind. Um, they're not allowed to share what happened. So there's some sort of secrecy. Um, Jesus said, "You can't share about the transfiguration to anyone, anyone, until after I'm gone." 
And, and so I can see the nine guys as they come back to their whole mess and everything that went wrong at the bottom of the mountain as they're arguing over if they, they failed to cast out this demon. So the nine are saying, where did you guys go? We're not allowed to talk about it. We, like, uh, we, like but you, you don't just unsee the transfiguration. Like, I don't think you're like, but they're restricted. So I think that there's some sort of tension. You know, they're fighting for pull position. Like, like, why did those three get to go? Why did we stay? We sort of had a bad encounter, but they don't seem like they had, what, what happened up there seemed pretty good. Like, I don't know what happened. And then from this whole tax collector thing, what does Jesus ask? He says, hey, uh, who does the king tax? Others or insiders? And they said, others. And so now they're recognizing, they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. They've already addressed this. They, they've, they, they came to that conclusion. And Jesus it made it very clear to them that he's the Messiah. He's exempt from this. And they're his sons. They're a part of his following. And so they're exempt. They're, they're pretty cool guys in their own right. And so they're trying to sort out, well, hey, when the kingdom rolls in, you're the Messiah, things are unfolding. What's our pecking order here? Where, where do we stand? This, this was a question that they struggled with jesus would continually try to explain to them you guys are getting it wrong you're getting it wrong you're misunderstanding you're not hearing what i'm saying even to the point that at the, at the lord's supper um in luke 22 24 we're told that a spat like they're arguing amongst one another who's going to be greatest amongst them in the kingdom and this is like the night which jesus is going to be arrested he's about to be crucified within 24 hours and they're arguing over who's going to be greatest. Um, th- they didn't hear what Jesus would say to them over and over and over. And just a, a, chapter, as we, a chapter or two, and over in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, uh, we read there that Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He constantly tells them, guys, I am the Messiah. I am the sustainer and creator of the universe. And yet I've humbled myself. I pay this silly tax. I serve you guys. I serve everyone. And you all are just missing the boat. And so they ask this question. Who, hey, since we're talking about the, the, the sons are exempt from the tax, where do we fit in this? <laughs> and so Jesus, before he responds, he grabs the child. It's interesting that this word child there's a bunch of different words for, for children. Um, this literally would be a word that we would use for toddler. So I'm thinking of my, like, two-year-old Titus age. You know, dirty face, scuffed up knees, sort of out of control, whatever. You know, just to two-year-old, not bad, just sort of two-year-olds don't really have a lot of cares in the world. They're not really worried about paying their taxes. They're not worried about, like, whatever. Mom and dad are there, we're good. But it seems to be, for me, that if mom's there, everything's okay. <laughs> this one really likes her. Like, there's, it's, you know, she wanted a mama's boy, and she got her, you know. But, but it's just, hey, they're here, I'm good. I don't need to worry about anything. All my, my uh, everything's covered. They're not worried about what's for lunch. They just know lunch is going to be there. They're not worried about dinner. They, and so Jesus grabs, a, like, a toddler to himself, and he set him before them. You guys want to know who the greatest is? Here's dirty little scruffy, uh, you know, his oatmeal's on his shirt. Uh, boogers are hanging out of his nose. His hair's messed up. 
He's got dirt all over him. Here's the picture of greatness in my kingdom. He says, I say to you, unless you are converted, um, literally turned around uh, and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, he says, first off, you guys are talking about greatness. Let's just talk about entry. (laughs) Let's just talk about making it in. If you want to even step foot into my kingdom, this is what you need to be like. You need to be converted. Um, it, 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 makes, it makes me think of John 3, 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And so when I look at this, like we're talking about dependency, humility. Well, well that, he gets into that. Whoever humbles himself as this child he is the greatest in the kingdom. How humble is a child? child or children, toddlers, they're, they're helpless. They roll through their life. They have, you know, they go to the bathroom on themselves. They don't even care. Like they just, they just roll with the punch. They just go with it. Like they, they're totally dependent on everybody else to stay alive and going. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you need to become dependent. You need to humble yourselves. You need to fully rely on God. I, I saw a quote by... Uh, D.L. Moody, who said, be humble or you'll stumble. I thought that was good. And another said, uh, this one I thought was really powerful, they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. Amen, brother. <laughs> That's all. Like, uh, they that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. If we know, if we acknowledge who we truly are, we have nothing but humility. <laughs> like, we... And he continues and he says, so we have uh, convert and be like children, humble yourself as this child, and whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Receiving this, like this is beautiful. And, and I think that there's like the literal child element. I think that we can also take this to like, to, to people who are young in the faith, um, you know, this word causes, this is that stumbling, the offense. Uh, I got ahead, that's verse 6. But receiving this child, th- th- this is welcoming, loving, caring for this child as a, as a parent. Like, we'll, we'll see that if you, like, if you're a parent and you have kids, well, if you're a par- and you have kids, like, people who lo- love your kids, you like them. People who don't like your kids, you suddenly don't like them. And this whole point of the story is God is saying, like, I'm kind of like a parent. I, I, I love my kids. And so you receive my kids. If you receive my kids, you're good. If you reject them, you're not good. And he goes as far as if you're receiving one in my name, you receive me. So the, the, the lower part of society, the, the less than people, you receive those, you're receiving Christ. The question is, like, you know, how... how how do you treat, quote-unquote, important people to how you treat, quote-unquote, unimportant people? I think this is the issue at hand. Like, I think some of the, oh, you're important. I can use you as a stepping stool to something else, so I'm going to treat you one way, but you, you have nothing to offer me, so I'm going to treat you totally different. And I think this is sort of like the issue that Jesus is getting at. 
And this is the very opposite of how our world, if you want to advance in business and, 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 and anything, you step on people, right? You, you work your way up. You, that means you walk all over people. And Jesus say, nah, not in my kingdom. You know, last night I went to the barber. Doesn't my hair look nice? I just, you know, I, uh, but there's this lady and she lives in Oceanside. And, you know, I go there. She, we always, you know, exchange, hey, what's happening in the town? This is what I know. This is what you know. Okay, this is barbershop where everything's at. And I, and I know she lives in Oceanside. And I say, hey, I read in the paper that they're, you know, that they're, the Oceanside Pier is not going to be open 24 hours anymore. I'm like, I didn't even know it was open 24 hours. And she's like, oh, yeah, the, the homeless population is really bad. Like, there's a lot of bad things. And, and uh, yeah, at night especially. And, and so she starts going about it. She's like, but the, she just started going into, like, oh, the, the, in, in Oceanside, the homeless population is really, like, growing to where there's camps. And she's like, it... She's kind of going, like, I'm scared sometimes. But then she even goes further, and she starts talking about how she, like, um, like she knows what I do for a living, and she, she's of faith. And, and, uh, and she says, yeah, I just my heart's been really burdened for these people. So I've, I've learned, like, I, I, um, if I see them, I've learned that when I go out for a bike ride, I carry extra water bottles to offer to give to people. She's like, I was doing my laundry in the laundromat, and this lady came up with a bunch of issues, and I went and bought her a sandwich. And she's like, then there was this guy. She's like, normally the men I have a hard time with because I think they're making poor decisions. But this one guy, he had no leg. And she's like, you have no leg, you get money from me. And I'm just like, this bar, I'm like, you are like, the, the pit, this is like a picture of Christ's likeness, that this is the, the attitude. Uh, it was beautiful because I can, you know, I spend more time with like doing ride-alongs and dealing with like the bad side of stuff. So it was really just kind of a, a sweet picture of seeing this verse Jesus says, he who receives one such child in my name receives me. Then he goes on to say, but whoever causes, uh, again, that same word, offense or stumbling, out of one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So behind me, well, first I'll say is there's, there's a number of different words to describe various millstones. Um, there, there's a millstone that you can imagine like a hand-making guacamole sort of millstone. That's like a little one. Throw that around my neck and throw me in the ocean, no big deal. But then there's a millstone where a big log would be put in, and they poke it through the hole, and then they basically they, they would mount it uh, to the mule, and the mule would walk around, and as the mule walked around, the stone would roll around. This could be like a couple thousand pounds. Jesus says, you stumble one of these, it would be better for you to have that tied around your neck and, and to be thrown into the sea, um, like or the lake or whatever. I mean, this is like sitting right on the Sea of Galilee. Like this isn't... Um, and, and the Romans had a history that crucifixion was one means, a lesser means was sort of this, they would drown people alive like this, throw them out there. Think of the old mafia, like, I don't have my voice. Yeah. <laughs> you mess with me, you're going to be you know, cased in cement and thrown out in the ocean sort of thing. I mean, this is, Jesus says, if, if, you, if you stumble one of these ones, and, and I, the belief, so I think that this, the, the application is from, from a, a little child who is so um, moldable in the faith. Like, on one side, that, that is, as, a, as a parent, as one who interacts with the thought of, stumbling one of these kids or turning them away, like there's strong word, warning. Uh, children 
are, have, have such a receptiveness to the things of God. And, and so on one front, to turn one of them away, that's, 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 that's bad. I also think you could apply this to somebody who's older but is young in the faith, that you, by your life and your actions, you cause them to, to go away from God. There is serious warning. Like Jesus, like this isn't seeker-friendly. <laughs> you stumble one of them, it would be better for you to be drowned alive in the lake with a 2,000-pound stone than to face me at my throne. That should be horrible. Like, I, 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 I'm not going to deny that's a little kind of unnerving. Uh, and I think, that, that I think the, the implication is that your, your life, how you live, how you do business, how you interact with people, how you interact with your servers, uh, how... how you, you live your life that, there, that, that God's reputation and kingdom is at stake for how you live your life. I, um, a lot of times I hear about, oh, people in the name of God have done things or things happen, and then God suddenly gets up, well, I can't, there's just so much evil in the world and people are so bad, and I, you know, I just can't believe in God because of this. And I, I had this conversation recently with somebody and I'm like, well, I just kind of think that God gets blamed for a lot of people's sinfulness sometimes. <laughs> like, I, think, I think the wrong person is taking the blame. Like, it's not God's fault. But the warning, though, is if you take on the name of Christ, you then affect people's view of God, starting with your children, starting with those around you, those who know you, the, the, those who you interact with. You know, it makes me like cringe when I hear about you know the, the the pastor who goes to who goes to lunch and orders a meal and in the tipping section on the credit card thing writes a Bible verse on the tip and says "Be blessed" with no money. It's like oh, <laughs> like the you know, the poor waitress who's like you know like if that's her understanding of God, I know better to give a big tip and then put a track in there and then say whoa like. Then we go into verse 7. So he's given this warning. Then he comes to verse 7. He says, woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Like just the world. There's stumbling blocks all over the world. Um, For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. Jesus acknowledges that there's there's all sorts of things that are causing people to stumble, not to believe, not to trust after him. But he moves from the general. And I don't want us to miss this. He moves from the general to the specific individual to then to you. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Then he's going to move to you. Notice the you, 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 all through this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes or causes stumble for both of these, you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. For it is better for uh, it is better for you to enter life with the one eye than to have two eyes and to be cast into the fiery hell. So we have this uh, uh, consequence of eternal fire, fiery hell. Jesus talks about hell a lot. Um, I want to point out, you know, there's some cultures that uh, they'll chop off your hand if you steal. 
Um, First off, I think that Jesus is speaking sort of uh, like hyperbole, uh, using an extreme example. He doesn't say that somebody else cuts it off. It says, hey, if, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, you cut it off. <laughs> and so the, the implication, like the thought about me like taking a butcher knife, like I probably shouldn't go to the demonstration, you know, like I real, actually I probably should have like had some blood packets of wham. Like, hey, you know, like the people that do that with kids, you know, like the, you know, ah, look at that. That would have been a funny teaching illustration if I could pull it off. But the idea of cutting off an appendage, like, I can't even touch my eye. My dad still makes fun of me of when I was a little kid, and they wanted to get my eyes checked because they thought I had dyslexia. And the doctor says, I'm going to dilate your eyes. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, well, we're going to put something in your eye. It's going to open up your eye so we can see into the inside. Well, to me in fourth grade, that sounded like a terrible idea. I didn't want my eye opened up. And so literally they had to chase me around the office. And I mean, I was, it was full-blown fight. Like I was assaulting them. Like there's no way they're opening up my eyeball. And finally they said, well, we give up. And I was like, okay, we're out of here. Walking out the door, my dad bear hugs me. I got him. (laughs) And then they put one little stinking drop in my eye. I'm like, that's it? I thought my whole eyeball was going to open up. Like, I didn't understand. So, like, the thought of, like, gouging out my eye, like, I don't like that idea. But, but the idea is that sounds really bad, but what you should think of the worse than that thought of cutting off a limb or taking out your eye is your sin. Your, the thought of your sin should disgust you. It, 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 you should have such a high view of God's holiness and his standard. Um, that, that, that the idea of going through this life with your sin, and the reality is, is that our sin becomes like our little pet peeves, or not pet peeves, our little pets. <laughs> pet peeves we don't like, but our pets we love, and we sort of nurture. Uh, men's Bible study yesterday, we were talking about anger, and finally somebody said, well, the thing about being angry, though, it's fun. And it's like, oh, that's so true. And so we, instead of being disgusted by our sin, we seem to sort of nurture it and cradle it. And Jesus is saying, if you have this sort of sin, if you have sin, you should be so reviled by it that you should uh, take radical steps to deal and to contend with your sin. Uh, you have a close examination of your lifestyle. I mean, all through this, you, 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 you. And then he goes on, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know if there's guardian angels. Like, that's a big question. We know that angels are like messengers. They're agents for God. They do things. In this case, we see that these least, that there are some like angels, whether they're assigned individually or maybe like some people I think have a whole bunch. There are seasons in my life where God probably dispatched a whole bunch of angels to me. Um, it reminds me as a little kid walking up to getting communion in the Catholic Church, and the, which is a super big deal. Like if you know anything about Catholicism, those Eucharists are sacred little things. He took a whole handful and he put it all in my hand and I'm like, snacks. And he's like, I think you need a lot of Christ in your life. And I was like, well, I'll take it. <laughs> like a snack in the whole way. But I think that there's some times where we're like, like what he says here is these little ones that there are, that these angels see the Father face to face. And the point that he's trying to convey, 
is the least of least that Christ died for. He loves them. He's passionate for them. And if your sin is causing any harm to them, that should make you concerned. Verse 11, your translation, we sort of, there was last week we had one of these. I'm not going to rehab that, that conversation. Um, you can I have it privately, but this has to do with manuscripts. Some uh, NIV and uh, ESV would put footnotes sort of dealing with this. This it says, for the, for the Son of Man has come to save that which lost. You can find it in other passages. It's a, it's a translation thing. Um, I, I'll move on. He goes on to say, what, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep, one of them has gone astray. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go search for the one that is strained? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99, which, are, which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little one perishes. Um, Jesus is conveying, this is a shepherding sort of community. We have a bunch of fishermen, but they would understand shepherds and the value of, of their sheep. He says, there's a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray. That shepherd is going to do everything he can do to find, I mean, days searching until he finds that one. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love or care for the 99, but that he's so passionate about the individual that he's going to track down and go after the one until he finds it because he doesn't desire for any to perish. Um, Friday, we, you know, Fridays we tend to have like family days. And so we did the, um, we did the, because uh, Grace is in fourth grade. So there's like the studying the, the California missions. And so we went to the one in Oceanside. And you know what's right across the street from that one? In and out. <laughs> and so they're so like, hey, kids, you want to go to In and Out afterwards? Because I want to go to In and Out afterwards. So we go to In and Out. We have our little, we have our little meal. But Grace, I mean, Grace, Gideon is more used to, um, to eating at the one in Escondido. So they're all sort of the same layout, but you go in through different doors at the one in Oceanside. And so Gideon's kind of like a, you know, he's, he's, he's a man with a plan, and he knows what he wants to get done, and, and uh, not, not ill-intentioned or anything like that, but we'd, we'd finished, and I'd kind of thrown away the trash. And then Ann and I look around, and it's like, where's Gideon? And we're like, you know, not trying to freak out in public, just kind of like, Don't, don't worry about us. We, we, we're, we know where our kids are. It turns out at the Escondido door, you'd go out on the door at this one, and Oceanside, you'd go out that door. And so Gideon's just standing by the door waiting for us to, to go out. But there's like, if you like misplace your children, or they, this wasn't a misplacing, this was a young man that just, he knew where we were supposed to go to the door. And, but there's that like, okay, we're going to do everything for the other three, it wasn't like we don't love them. We told you we would do this for any of them, but the one that wandered off. And it's like, hey, buddy, we love you so much. Thanks for that illustration. Like, that's, that's wonderful. And I think that the, like, that God's trying to let us know that he cares about the outsiders. He cares about those who are lost. And so if you're a lost one today, if you haven't come to know Christ, know that Christ knows you, he loves you, he desires for you to walk with him. Um, we're going to take communion here. We're, going to, we're wrapping up right now. Um, but, but communion is to reflect upon what Christ has done for us. Um, he, he gave his life for us. He loves us so much that he came, he lived the perfect life, he made the perfect sacrifice for us um, so that we could have life in him. Um, there, there's a command in this section that, that for us in community, I, I think that there's a, a, a call for us as followers of Christ 
to be sensitive and to be aware of how our actions and our words and how we live our lives, how it affects others, that, that we need to be sensitive to how our lives are, are affecting the, the, the kingdom of God. And so if you don't know Christ, communion, to me this is like, it, it's simply to believe. It's not that we do a bunch of stuff to earn salvation. Christ paid it all for us. And if you know Christ, he's our example. I'm going to end with a scripture, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, but you can just come forward and receive communion um, and then take it on your own. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, verse 16 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And Father, we do thank you um, for this life that we have in Christ. I thank you for his shed blood as we um, pause and take communion today. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to examine our hearts, Lord, uh, Father, for those that aren't certain of where they stand before you, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the gospel so clearly, uh, that Jesus has paid it all, um, that he is so passionate about each one of us that he would go through this great um, extent, um, that he would pay for the sin um, that, we, that, that we have, the sin that separates us from you, Lord, that he would make this uh, sacrifice um, really so that all we have to do is believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help uh, those here that maybe have not made that decision, have made come to that understanding. Lord, that they would uh, be set free by grace, set free by your love. And, Father, for those of us who have experienced um, this new life through being born again and trusting this rebirth that we've experienced. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Lord, help us to truly um, to be aware, to be um, just cognitive, Lord, of how our actions, how our words affect others. Father, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to those in their journey towards you. Lord, may we not be a stumbling block to anyone in their faith to you. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom. Lord, as we see by your example, that it's not simply to remove all stumbling blocks, but that you would help us uh, not to be a stumbling block in things that matter and that we would allow your cross to be the ultimate stumbling block. Father, we do thank you. We praise you. Um, Lord, we reflect upon your death and the life that we have in you through communion today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.